Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning comes to us from Mark's Gospel. I invite you to follow along on as we read from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. This is Jesus healing a blind man. They came to Bethsaida, that's Jesus and the disciples, and some people brought a blind man to him, meaning Jesus, and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a little boy named Billy, and he was so looking forward to Christmas, and so he wrote a Dear Santa letter that was 12 pages long with a list of games and gadgets and toys on it. And when his parents saw that letter, they were so disappointed in the little boy's selfishness, so they decided to take some action. They took him to the living room and they plopped him right in front of the nativity scene. They said to him, Billy, you're going to sit here and look at this nativity scene until you understand what Christmas is really all about. And then you're going to write a letter to Jesus. And so the boy sat and stared at that crash and all the Christmas characters in that nativity scene. And he got up and he went to his bedroom and he wrote, Dear Jesus, if you bring me all the presents I want, I will be good for a whole year. But he didn't like the way that sounded, and so he crumpled up the letter, and then he threw it in a waste paper basket. And he started writing again. Dear Jesus, if you bring me all the presents I want, I will be good for a whole week. Then he tore up that letter and threw it away as well. Then the little boy went back to the living room and again looked intently at that nativity. And reaching in, he very gently lifted up the Mary figure. And then he returned to his room. He put Mary in a shoebox and hid it in the closet. Then he sat down and wrote, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> Well, it is this kind of me-first attitude that Jesus is actually speaking against in one of his parables from Luke chapter 16. Uh, Jesus, in this parable, lets us see into the future so that we can kind of make a mid-course correction in our lives. So I'd like for us to take a closer look at this passage as I read from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I invite you to follow along on the screen. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, 
he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I have moved us through the season of Advent, including Christmas Eve on different uh, Christmas uh, carols, we're looking at a Christmas carol today. But what's interesting in the story is that Jesus does not mention the rich guy's name, but he knows the poor man's name. If you look through the parables of Jesus, this is the only character who has a proper name. His name is Lazarus, not the Lazarus that Jesus rises from the dead in John chapter 11. This is a different Lazarus. This is a parable. Now, here in this church, we have deacons who greet you. We have ushers who give you bulletins and help you to your seat. We have visitors that we ask to sign a guest book. Coming soon in 2024, there'll be a new pictorial directory. Why do we do all this stuff? We want to know your name. Jesus knew the name of the beggar. But the rich man, whose name was well known throughout all of the community, that name, that name just seems to totally escape Jesus. Jesus says there was this rich guy, uh, what's his name? Who dressed in purple and fine linen every day. Now, purple was the color of royalty. And in the time of Jesus, it was a very valuable commodity, costing twice its weight in gold. He was a dapper dresser. It also says he feasted sumptuously, eating at all the finest restaurants in the area. So he lived with this kind of in-your-face affluence, and he wanted everyone to know it. This is a man whose cup runneth over with perks and possessions and a life of endless luxury. There was just one glitch in this man's otherwise picture-perfect life. There was a so certain homeless man who was making a pest of himself by camping out in front of his house. And if that weren't bad enough, we read that this man had an incurable disease that had these open sores that he did not even have the decency to cover up. In fact, it says the dogs would come and lick his sores. Yuck. And so it appears that this man was out panhandling and hassling the rich man's friends whenever they came over to visit, begging for spare change and scraps of food. And so in this scripture, we have this extreme juxtaposition 
of wealth and poverty. Because here's a man who has no food, no clothes, no home, no health care, and no friends, next to a man who has too much food, too many clothes, too big a house, too many friends, and not a care in the world. If we dig just a bit deeper in this scripture reading, there is one phrase that just sort of leaps off the page. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. At his gate, not halfway around the world in a place that we've never heard of, but at his gate. Today, it would be like the end of our driveway, or as we sometimes like to say, right under our noses. Now, this rich man may have thought about the, the plight of the poor every once in a while. He may have mulled over in his mind whether it was a good practice to give money to beggars, but he didn't really see Lazarus. And apparently, he didn't lose any sleep over it. After all, no TV show called Lifestyles of the Poor and Unknown or Real Poor Housewives of Quarryville are ever going to get any TV ratings. Charles Dickens translates this story into the 19th century setting of London, England, but he does so with a wicked twist. What he does is he gives the rich man a name, and we know that man's name, Ebenezer. A few years ago, in a church that I previously served, we sang this hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We're going to sing it as our closing hymn later on. And a young person in the church asked me a question about that hymn. He said, you got to help me understand something. And immediately I thought, well, here comes trouble. And boy, was I right. Because he asked me, I noticed that the second verse, and just look at that insert in your bulletin. The second verse says, here I raise my Ebenezer. He said, well, how can I raise mine if I don't even know what one is? And so I have to tell you that in that moment, I had no idea what it meant to raise one's Ebenezer, but I was a pastor, so I had to say something. And so I said, son, I suggest that's the sort of thing you should discuss with your parents. <laughs> Well, I like to think I'm a little smarter now, at least in some areas, but I did need to check on this for myself. And I discovered what a wonderful thing it is to raise one's Ebenezer. Back in the Old Testament, when the Israelites defeated the Philistines, the prophet Samuel raised up a great stone monument to God that he called Ebenezer, saying, the Lord has been our help. Now, do you understand the wonderful irony in all this? Because here is Ebenezer Scrooge, this self-made zillionaire who goes around saying, I did it all myself. And yet, unknown to him, his very name means the Lord has been my help. Way to go, Charles Dickens. So clever and so spot on target. Friends, we need to remember that whatever success that we've had in life, the Lord has been our help. The Lord has been our help in 2023. The Lord will be our help in 2024. The Lord will be our help forever and ever. It is God who made us and given us all we have. So our name is Ebenezer. 
And then in Dickens' A Christmas Carol, the poor beggar is actually an entire family. Ebenezer Scrooge is paid a visit by, by this nocturnal spirit, and this, it is a towering robed figure, and he's got a big holly wreath, and he's decked out in sausages and mistletoe and turkeys and pies, fruits and puddings with this great steaming punch bowl. It, it's the ghost of Christmas present. He says, you've never seen anybody like me before, have you, Ebenezer? And Scrooge says, never. And then he leads him on a tour around the world to foreign lands and to beds of pain. Then they go and pay a visit to the Cratchit family. Here's a family with five children living in a four-room house with Bob Cratchit making $9 a week. Charles Dickens says in his book, they were not a handsome family. Their clothes were sooty. And at the end of the table is the youngest child, Tiny Tim, who's got braces on his legs and a tree branch for a crutch. And Tiny Tim desperately needs medical treatment to keep him alive, but the family can't afford it. But Scrooge doesn't care. Christmas, bah, humbug. And yet around that family table, Tiny Tim says, God bless us all, everyone. And without a trace of bitterness and barely anything on that dinner table, they raise a glass and have a toast to old Scrooge himself. Ever been treated like a Lazarus or like a Bob Cratchit or one of his family members? I have this unusual habit of talking to myself out loud. And I'm not sure why I do it, but I can tell you I've never lost an argument with myself. <laughs> One day I was in my office here at the church, and I was engaging in a conversation with myself when a member came down the hallway and they poked their head inside the office. And she looked at me and said, oh, I could have sworn I heard more than one voice. Well, you should have seen the look on her face. When I said back to her, that was just me talking to myself. Now, I think that's rather amusing, and for my sake, I hope that is not a serious condition. <laughs> but let me ask you, in all seriousness, do you care about those poor souls around here or in Lancaster who talk to themselves? If so, what are you going to do about it? To put it another way, as the church, how can we worship one who was homeless on Sunday and then ignore them completely the rest of the week? Far too often, we are like that line from the song from the singer Jewel. You were fashionably sensitive, but too cool to care. Or we're a lot like Scrooge and how we feel about people who are different from us, the lost, the last, the lonely, as we're going to see in this movie clip from A Christmas Carol with the late and great George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. You don't know us, nor do I wish to. My name is Poole, and this is Mr. Hackett. Excellent. Now, if you'll allow me to pass, uh, let me explain something. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. Provision? 
Are you seeking money from me then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so, and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. Okay. In Mark's Gospel, there's a miracle healing of Jesus that is probably one of the stranger healings of Jesus in the Bible. Because Jesus touches the eyes of a man born blind, and we expect the passage to read, and immediately that man was healed. Only in this case, the man says, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. And so Jesus touches his eyes a second time, and now he sees people clearly. To Ebenezer Scrooge, Bob Cratchit was just, was just a tree walking around. In fact, he doesn't even call Bob Cratchit by his name until the final scene. Some of us are blind to the people around us. And then we need a second touch to see people as they really are. For example, Bob Pierce was an evangelist traveling around the globe to foreign lands. In 1947, he was on a preaching mission in mainland China when he had an experience that changed his life. He had just, uh, just spoken at a revival to a large assembly of people outdoors when through the crowd pushed this distraught mother cradling in her arms her starving baby daughter. She came up to him, she thrust the baby into Bob Pierce's arms and then she disappeared back to the crowd. And Bob Pierce didn't know what to do. All he wanted to be was an evangelist. And yet Jesus touched him a second time. And Bob Pierce dug into his own pocket to pay for upbringing. And three years later, Dr. Bob Pierce founded what has become one of the largest Christian relief organizations in the world, World Vision, which is what Jesus wants us to have, World Vision. Someone has said, a tear is the contact lens through which we see the world most clearly. Where does compassion actually come from? One possibility is that it comes from an I too attitude. You see someone who's lost their job and you think, I too could lose my job. Or you go to the hospital to visit a family member or a friend who has a terminal illness and you think, I too could get cancer, right? Or, you know, someone who gets caught behaving rather foolishly, and instead of gloating over that person's situation, you think, I too had the capacity to mess up my life. There but for the grace of God, 
go I. And so then we are moved with compassion. Now the opposite of an I too attitude is, is a wall, a wall of indifference. We say, well, I'm industrious, hardworking, and therefore rich. But they're unmotivated, lazy, and thus poor. I'm a Christian saint. They're secular sinners. I am mentally balanced and healthy. That person over there, they're a few french fries short of a happy meal. The rich man looked out his window and he didn't see a person. What he saw was an inconvenience, a pest. And that's what got Scrooge into trouble. In the parable in Luke chapter 16, the man goes to hell. In the case of Scrooge, he gets the hell scared out of him. One night, his former money-grubbing colleague, Jacob Marley, rises from the grave and appears to him in the middle of the night, bound in chains and howling with regret. It's too late for me, Ebenezer Scrooge. And suddenly, Scrooge gets religion. He does a 180, and he becomes a whole new man. And you know, right here, I think we have a problem because it usually doesn't work out that way. The rich man who is in hell says that he wants to send back a kind of Jacob Marley figure to warn his brothers. And then Jesus says, I tell you, they would not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Scare tactics don't change people. So what does change people? Jesus says they should listen to Moses and the prophets. It's the message of God's redeeming love. That's what changes people. It's knowing that when we go down to the end of our driveway to help the poor man, we're only doing what God has already done for us in his son who came for us at Christmas. He left the mansion and he came to us in the perils and problems of our poverty. He crossed that great chasm in order to reach us in our desperation. He has lifted us out of the gutter and he has brought us back to be with him in his home. And he's taken us into his family as his beloved children. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Oh, loving God, we pray that you would breathe your Holy Spirit into us so that we might be people who see the needs of those around us, that we might be willing to be interrupted to offer our time and resources and to be able to make a difference in this world. Help us not to be discouraged by the immensity of the needs around us, but to be an encouragement. Even if it is to one blind person at a time, one tiny Tim at a time, one Bob Cratchit-like family at a time. And so, God, we pray that you would open our hearts so that we may be a blessing which strengthens your church. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.